just thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. And thank you for us being able to just experience our kids coming up and, and expressing themselves. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us the rest of this time and that we'd be open to hearing what, what Nick would have to say, Lord. And I just pray that the rest of this week would be a week of us turning to you and not trying to put our, our anchor in anything else but in you alone. In your name, amen. Amen. Good to be here. Good to see you guys. Um, even with the rain outside, we can be uh, just thankful for God's grace and thankful for God's weather and thankful for his creativity. You know, we got the Brockmans here from Florida. Thanks a lot for nothing. Uh, bringing the rain with you. But um, no, we can. Uh, it's nice to be. One thing that's true about me is I hate the winter, right? I actually am physically allergic to the cold. You all think I'm crazy, but I am. I break out in hives, and it's ugly, and it's, it's not good. Um, so, but in the winter, I could be thankful for God's creativity, right, uh, and his sense of humor. But anyway, um, I just want to start by telling you about a, a ministry opportunity that we have here. It's called Camp Vera, okay? To raise your hand if you've heard of Camp Vera. Good. A lot of people. That's good. Um, this year, Camp Vera is going to happen here at Creekside, June 15th to 19th, Okay. And it's where um, this church plus a bunch of other churches team up with the city of Des Moines to give swimming lessons to refugees in Des Moines. Um, this ministry was created as uh, a response to, back when Olivet Church was here, a girl named Vera drowned when she was swimming with her friends at uh, Gray's Lake. And so... Um, this ministry was created out of that to teach refugee kids how to swim. And so it's a great opportunity. There's swimming, there's food, there's crafts, there's Bible. Um, it's a good opportunity for us to serve with other churches along with the city. Uh, but we still need more help, okay? So if you are interested in any way in being involved in that ministry, you can, uh, if you have a vehicle that can bring kids back and forth from here to the pool, uh, that's great. If you can help with food, that's great. If you just want to be here to hang out with the kids, uh, that's fine too. Um, but we still need a lot of help, okay? So if you can help with that ministry, talk to Marge McKeever about that because uh, a lot of the success of that, all of the success of that actually depends on God, um, but he wants to use us to do that. So we need your help, so please talk to Marge McKeever about that. I want to start by uh, reading a note. This was in my mailbox two weeks ago. Okay, so just listen to this. This is not just a note. It was a letter printed out, addressed to my house. Okay, get this. Please take care of your yard. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing now. Your dandelion issue is out of control, and it has expanded to your neighbor's yards. You have it sprayed, or we will hire someone to do it and have them bill you, or call the city, even more expensive. Take some pride in home ownership and remedy this immediately. We are sick of looking at your dump of a property in our nice neighborhood. I was in my mailbox. All right, my first reaction is like, how many people read the Bible? And there's something in there in the Proverbs like, curse your neighbor's yard and suffer wrath, or like, diss a man's lawn. And make an enemy out of him. The thing about it is, this year, I have worked especially hard to have a nice yard. Okay? 
I gave it the Vance Hahn treatment. <laughs> right? Worked especially hard this year. So, this is not to gloat, but I'm going to show you a few pictures of my yard. Okay? See that first picture? How many dandelions do you see in that picture? Anybody? None. That's right. Okay, next one. How many dandelions do you see? None. All right, next one. How many do you see? None. Problem is, right up there in the bottom left-hand corner, okay, about two weeks ago, there was 10 to 20 dandelions right there, right? Okay? Funny thing is, that morning, before we got that letter uh, from our loving neighbor, don't know who the person is yet, but before we got that letter, my dad, who was here for a couple weeks uh, to help out, he went out and sprayed all those dandelions. So, to get my yard to look like this, we have done nothing in response to that letter, all right? It was really, really frustrating to me. Obviously, my wife and I responded differently to this letter, right? I was like, it's on like Donkey Kong. Here we go. My wife, she wants to go door to door, right? <laughs> I'm serious, all right? She like, I'm going door to door. Not five seconds later, I'm like, she gone. She, was li she literally went door to door, okay? Now, I'm like, yeah, you go door to door. She's crazy enough to do it. I'm like, I want to go door to door, but I'm not doing it. She's crazy. But here's the thing. Heather, she wants to go door to door for this reason, okay? She wants to go find out who this person is. Learn what is going on in their life. Get to know them, care for them, and talk openly with them, right? She, people who hurt, hurt. She wants to go find out who this person is, what's going on in their life. I'm like, yeah, you go find out who this is. I'm going to go plant some dandelions in their yard, all right? <laughs> Over the next few hours, I calmed down. I realized that the right thing to do was to love this person, to kind of kill them with kindness sort of thing. So the next day, um, in our Bible club that we have every Tuesday, neighbor girl comes in. She walks right up to me, and, it, and it's just very... <laughs> gentle, calm voice. She said, Nick, it's okay. Don't worry about the, the yard letter. We get one every year. And so it's like, I'm like, well, yeah, you, you seen your yard? I didn't say that to him, but it's true. So I, uh, a couple things I learned from this is that first of all, yes, dandelions are a weed. They're a direct result of the fall, okay? <laughs> Secondly, my reaction to things is not always what it should be. See, I was offended by this person. I don't even know them. I was offended by them. And I seriously wanted to put them in their place. I mean, a lot of things over the next few days went through my mind. Like, what am I going to tell this person when I see them? Third thing was this was a reminder to me that I need help to make right choices in the world. Tuesday morning... Um, at Cozy Cafe every other week we have a, a men's study group and we're um, studying through Romans 1 and in four weeks we've gotten through one chapter, right? So that's, that's pretty good. Um, but Romans 1, 24 through 25, we talked about this this last week. It says, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Remember last week, Tim talked about the fact that good and evil exist. And it was God's choice to give us a choice.
because he loved us. We're not robots, right? He gave us a choice. Now, which one will we choose? The truth is that, and we talked about this Tuesday morning, that God is, he's always right there, right? He's always, he's, he never actually leaves you, right? But a lot of times, he's just waiting for you. He maybe has pulled his spirits pull on your heart away a little bit, but he's never actually gone. He's just waiting for you to choose. God's concerned so much about my heart and about me and his relationship that he can have for me, with me, that sometimes in his wisdom, he knows that for that person, the fastest way back to me is all the way into their sin, right? if I let them go all the way into their sin, they'll realize their ways and come back to me. Ultimately, we all have a choice. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confession. Anybody else have a problem with that? Anybody else struggle with that? Confessing your sins, right? It's super hard. A couple weeks ago, not a couple weeks ago, I have a couple weeks ago written here, but it's really like, month, two, three, four months ago, I don't know. But uh, Heather came home from a study. I had gotten the kids down to bed, and so we had some time to talk, right? And get this, for a man, it is extra hard to admit when you're wrong. It's just hard. It's hard to admit when I've wrong or when I've sinned. I think I have it all together, or I want to think I have it all together. I want to think I'm in control of everything. Maybe women are the same way. I, I mean, the control thing, yeah, they're the same way, but, you know, maybe with sin, they're the same way. We, like, just like we hate to ask for directions or read instructions to put stuff together, even if we put it together wrong, I did it without reading the instructions, right? So that's a good thing for a man. But it's even harder to admit when we're wrong. I think that, like, on a spiritual plane, some people, they just wear their sin on their sleeves, right? It's not just they're open, openly sinning, but when they sin, they're just like, boom, confession all over the place. And they feel good about that, and they want you to know it. Like, I got nothing to hide. Here's everything. And they take pride in that, right? Except for, I think a wall goes up when you talk about sexual sin, right? Because somehow, especially for a man, somehow it feels like sexual sin puts me in a different category of sinner. Or a different category of bad, right, in everybody else's eyes. So that night, Heather and I were talking. And she comes and she says, and we learned that 75% of men, and I had read that recently, but 75% of men, even in the church, struggle with pornography. Don't look next to you, okay? But 75% of men in the church struggle with pornography. This is not to freak you out. It's not to start an argument or anything like that. But that means approximately three-quarters of the men in this room struggle with pornography, right? So I said... I've heard that. That's just crazy. That's nuts. It's sad, really. And as I was talking, like in the middle of my sentence, this is what I feel like. I don't know if this is reality, but this is what I feel like happened. Boom, she almost interrupts me and she said, Do you struggle with it? 
oh snap. Right? Because at that moment, I thought a lot of things. I thought this is a big moment. So many things go through my head in that moment. And I thought for every man that's ever confronted with this issue, a lot of things could go through your head. But I thought my pride said, like, why, how could you ask that? Don't you trust me? Really? My fear said, wow. Like in this moment, I understand what the answer to this question could do to destroy a family. I understand what the answer to this question could do to rip a husband and wife apart. I understand what this could do to your kids. I, understand, I just felt it all in that moment, right? But then I looked at my wife and I saw love and grace in her eyes. And I knew at that moment that whatever I say right now, my wife is for me and my wife wants me. So in that moment, I really could have said anything I wanted to. And she would have loved me. So I looked at her and I said, yeah, I've struggled with it before. Now, I struggled with it back when I was in high school, right? I don't currently struggle with it. It's not a current addiction for me. But when I had to admit that to my wife, that back in high school, I struggled with it. And then we started talking about it more and more and more and realized the weight of that addiction. And we started talking about other addictions, realized the weight of any addiction, of any sin, really. But this one especially. So after determining, like, even though this is not a current struggle for me, sometimes temptation, actually a lot of times temptation, probably on a daily basis, temptation is there to come back and bite you in the butt, right? I mean, it's there. And we, we determined for me, after that conversation, that one of the areas of temptation for me was Facebook. Because I rarely ever post on Facebook, right? A lot of times you think I'm posting on Facebook, but it's just Mike posting the Creekside's thing with my name tagged in it, so it looks like I posted it. I don't post those things. Mike's the genius behind those things. But I, I don't ever really post to Facebook, but I'll sit there when I get bored and just... Anybody else do that? What's going on in everybody else's life? I'm not even reading this stuff. I just look at, you know. And once in a while, the, there's a picture. Right? And Facebook just becomes this temptation. So, in response to that, that night I got rid of Facebook on my phone, and just recently I got rid of it on my iPad too. Okay, but here's the deal I never would have taken those steps of honesty. I never would have erased Facebook and taken that step practically. Never would have seen the concern and grace that my wife had for me if I had not been honest, if I had not in that moment, shows, here it is, you know? That night, I, I came to understand a little more about grace through my wife because it did not matter what I said in that moment. Even if I had told her right then, I struggle with it every day. My wife would have looked at me and said, all right, let's work on it. I love you, I want you, let's work on it, right? So, question is, what's the key to moving away from sin in our lives and living fully in the grace of God? Because there's a difference. To live fully in the grace of God, you've got to move away from your sin and not be shame-based, right? Tim talked about that last week, fear-based and shame-based. We've got to move away from our sin. What's the key? Here's the truth, that 
the gospel was fully embodied in Jesus. All right? And here it is. Grace and truth. We've talked about this before, but when Jesus was, had, a, had a moment to confront this woman caught in adultery that was about to be stoned by the Pharisees because by their law, she caught in adultery should have been stoned, right? But Jesus says, whoever has not sinned, throw the first stone. And they all lay their stones down and walk away. And then what does he say to her? The one man in all of history that had the right to condemn her said, I do not condemn you. Now, okay, so that's grace. I don't condemn you. A lot of us stop right there, right? A lot of us are content to stop right there. But he goes on and he says, he says, I don't condemn you now. Go and leave your life of sin. How do we do that? Here it is. Write this down. If you forget everything else, remember this, okay? To understand grace, know your sin. To understand grace Know your sin. I know some people have this false sense of what grace is. They think that this is grace. Everyone has their struggle. You're all right. We're going to let it go. Right? So, so grace becomes tolerance for people's sin. Let's just not deal with it. Let's allow people to just hang out in their sin and we're going to be buddy-buddy. Right? That's not the church, that's not community, and that's not grace, right? Here's what grace is. Romans 6, 1 says, shall we, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound by no means? Okay, here's grace. Jesus called sin, sin, all right, and then he died for it. Jesus called sin, sin, and then he died for it. Matt Chandler in uh, The Explicit Gospel, the book we're going to do on Wednesday night for Wednesday Waypoint, starting first Wednesday of June, quotes Thomas Watson. He says this, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. God's love, of which so many hell deniers are such cheerleaders, fails to carry the weight of eternal glory when we don't believe it saves us from much. Right? If I don't believe I have much to be saved from, then grace is not that great of a thing. If I can save myself, then God's power to save me is not that great, right? Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. See, God's love is real, okay? But it will not come to light, and it will not be as real as it should be until we understand what Romans 5.8 says, that Jesus died for us when? While we were what? Still sinners. I mean, that's nuts. You think about grace. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to die for a good man, for a righteous man. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. To understand grace, know your sin. Let's go a little deeper. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Genesis 3, verse 16, to the end. Here we go. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, 
Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore God, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a chair of him and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So Tim reminded us last week of our choice, okay? That it was absolute grace for God to give us choice. And here's what we need to see. Consequences to our sin are a part of his grace. Consequences. We hate consequences, right? I think of when I uh, discipline my kids, right? If I, if I don't give him something that hurts, like he's not going to learn. She's not going to learn, right? When you discipline your kids, you got to give them something that hurts. Because they're not going to learn if you don't. Consequences to sin are part of God's grace. Guarding the way to the tree of life was grace and mercy. We've talked about this. And Tim said this last week. I think this is pretty close to what he said, but he said this. God was protecting us from a sin-filled eternity and preparing us for eternal life. So as we look at this passage, in response in, in the curse that God at that moment laid on man and woman, okay, we've got to see the graciousness of God. So when speaking of the woman... Right, I want to talk about this part first. It says that her desire shall be for her husband. In the Hebrew, um, when you look at that word desire, it's not just desire for, like she's attracted to him. No. This is what it means. It suggests that her desire would to be c- to control her husband, to have control over her husband, but she would have to submit to him. Right? Eve desired the forbidden fruit and desired that her husband take it with her. But note this. Then in 3.8, what Tim read last week, what does it say about Adam? Adam was with her. All right? Adam was with her. So he, his responsibility to step up and do the right thing, he failed at that, right? But this was the curse for Eve. And then Eve would have pain in childbearing, right? Ladies, you can take that up with Eve when you see her. Um, but she would produce new life through suffering. The new life of a child. This was originally supposed to be. I mean, God's, yeah, I mean, we, this pregnancy and the new life of a child did not happen um, as a result of the fall. No, I mean, he said, be fruitful and multiply, right? And so, but the life of a child was supposed to come 
through joy and painlessness and perfection and all of that good stuff. But now, new life would be produced through suffering. And yes, it will be joyful. I remember the moment that we saw every one of our kids through that pain, me almost throwing up, but you know, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not kidding. But um, that moment that it was over, joy, right? It's not the way it was supposed to be. Now, when speaking of the man, here's the deal. From this point on in history, man would have a constant reminder of sin in the world. Through sorrow, through pain, through sweat, and eventually death. And getting nasty notes from your neighbors, right? All that stuff. To understand grace, know your sin. In a woman's suffering in childbirth, in a man's toil in his daily work, in a woman's need to submit to her husband even when she doesn't want to, a man's struggle to overcome sexual sin, a person's struggle to overcome an addiction to deal with death, to comfort sorrow, to confront sorrow, to deal with past or present abuse, to want justice in an unjust world, our struggle to protect our kids, our worry over our job, our worry over our family, our worry over our future, our ability to see the consequences for our action as grace. Because when I think of my sin and there's consequences for my sin, what should that do to me? Right? It should point me straight to my need for a savior. If there was not consequences for my sin, I would just think I was okay. I would just think that I could keep on going on in life. And what is that? What is that? Jesus says, now go leave your life of sin. Why? Because we want to honor God and because sin is destructive. But here's the deal. To confess our sins is one of the hardest things we could ever do. It takes a huge amount of humility to be open and honest with who I actually am, right? With the way that I act, with the sin that I struggle with. Here's the deal. God takes and drives them from the garden. He guards the way to the tree of life as an act of grace. He was preserving them. He was giving them a constant reminder of their need for God in the sinful state that they now would live in forever, right? Just before doing that, there's this little verse that says that God clothed them with garments of skin from an animal, right? So, Tim, Mike, and Emily, you guys can come back up. But after the very first sin was committed, right, God saw that Adam and Eve's coverings for themselves were absolutely insufficient, right? Fig leaves to cover themselves up were not very, I mean, I just don't know how that would work, right? Very insufficient. Our attempts... Whatever our attempts may be 
Maybe it's hiding our sin, right? Maybe it's not being very open with our sin. Maybe it's living two lives. I don't know. But whatever our attempts to cover ourselves are completely and utterly insufficient. So he provides a covering sufficient for them. And in that covering, in the skin of an animal that covered them up, it was sufficient to clothe them physically. The blood of an animal for the first time had to be shed in order to give them a covering sufficient for them. Get this. Romans 5, 18 through 19 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Romans 5.15 But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, will abound for many. Our coverings, our running from our sin, our failure to see our sin and our need to walk away from it is insufficient to rescue us. Our attempts to save ourselves by thinking that we're good enough, or here's what I do often, is I think I'm better than that guy over there, right? It almost gives me some sort of sick pleasure to hear when somebody else is caught in sin. Because it makes me feel better about myself. Like, how wrong is that? That's just sin in itself, right? And so we use all these things to try to cover up our own sin. To cover ourselves so we don't have to deal with it, right? But here's what happens. We're afraid of this confession of our sin. We're afraid of telling someone about it. Because we really don't understand the grace of God. If we really understood the grace of God and the grace that he asks us to give to each other, we'd confess all the time. I think if we really got that, we'd confess all the time. We need to know our sin in order to understand the weight of grace. What does the Bible say? There is now No condemnation for those who are in Christ. So, here's the deal. Confessing sin regularly, here's not for the forgiveness of God. Because when you come to God, when you come to Jesus for the first time for your salvation, you're forgiven. Past, present, future, done. Right? Not for that forgiveness. But we confess to each other so that we can pray for each other and be healed. Healed from what? Healed from shame. Healed from fear. The things that cripple us from moving forward, we're healed from, right? God's already forgiven us when we come to Jesus for salvation, but we need a constant reminder of God's grace. We need a constant reminder that I'm not all that. That I need Jesus, right? So let's start here. Let's start here, okay? Remembering Jesus by the very things that he gave us to remember him by. He gave us the bread, he gave us the juice and said, remember my body broken for you. Remember my blood 
spilled out for you. Why? Because your coverings are insufficient. My blood, my covering is absolutely sufficient. So in the next few moments as we sing together, confess. Confess to the Lord the things that you need to confess. It starts there. If you can't be honest with God, you are not going to be honest with the person next to you. Right? So it starts here. Confess these things. Be open with yourselves. Pray the truth. John Reeves, I don't know if you know John Reeves is, but he also, he always, when he gets a group of guys together, he makes every single one of them pray the truth about themselves. Because we need to be honest with God and about ourselves before the only one that can save us and take away the guilt and the shame, right? So do that in these moments. There's two stations up front, one in the back as we worship. Let's do that. God, I just pray that you will see our hearts this morning. Father, I pray that uh, in our attempts to cover ourselves, God, that you just break down those walls, break down um, our pride. God, we come in humility before you to worship you. And to see Jesus' sacrifice on the cross as sufficient to cover me. In Jesus' name. kind of stuff it's heavy and it's not um, necessarily easy to hear but for those who are in Christ the gospel is not meant to be heavy the gospel is not shame-based the gospel is not meant to weigh you down the gospel is meant to free you right and if we do this right if we do this the way that the Bible says that we're supposed to be the church to each other then confession should happen all the time right then I'm not afraid of confessing my sins to you. And I'm not just saying that you, boom, get up here every week and let's have a confession time. It just becomes what it should be. My wife just looked at me and like, uh, maybe we should kind of look. <laughs> but this is not meant to weigh you down. It's meant to free you. The love of Jesus does not put shame on you. The love of Jesus shows you a place that you can go with the cross, in the cross, to lay it all down and leave it there and walk away from it, right? But here's the deal. The only way in the community of the church that you're going to walk away from your sin is if you talk about it, is if you are open with it, if you share it with somebody, right? Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's not. Maybe it's a close friend and you don't even know who that person is yet. Maybe you have that person in your life and you just need to be humble enough to say it, right? Because it's scary. It's scary because I don't have it all together. So here's your challenge, right? This week, every single day, I want everyone to pray something like this. Lord, give me someone to be honest with. That's number one. Give me someone to be honest with. To confess to. I want to know my sin so I can walk away from it in your grace. To know, to understand grace, know your sin. So we're going to sing one more song right now, okay? And there are people in the prayer room.
who want to pray with you if you need it. And maybe it's something that you are stuck in. Maybe it's a sin that you're stuck in. Maybe it's a way of thinking that you're stuck in. It might not just be a sin. It may be, Lord, I'm looking at this situation wrongly and I need help. Something is weighing on everybody in this room. All right? Now, if you get up in this moment to go talk to somebody, you're going to be thinking, everybody looks at me and they now know I have an issue. You know what? So do they. You just have the guts to get up. Right? So, as we sing this last song, let's just start that. You, you sit there or you stand there and you pray that God puts somebody on your mind to be honest with and go find that person. Or just talk it out with your wife. Or talk it out with a buddy sitting next to you. I mean, start this process right now. Okay? You can sit there too. But there's no shame here. Okay? So let's do that. You can come talk to me about anything. You can talk to Tim. You can talk to the elders. Talk to somebody. Because the process has to start somewhere. It starts with your humility to understand the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So let's sing together and let's do this.